Hello, and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heavenbound podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into our recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds and preview what's to come here at Charlestown Road. Well, we welcome all of our listeners. and glad you could be with us today. This past week, Jason had the honor of preaching, and we feel like it's an honor. You know, sometimes people look at preaching as our job. We have to do it. But every time we stand behind that pulpit, it is a privilege, and it's an honor to us, and that's how we view these things. Absolutely. And Jason brought us a great lesson about the Lord's church. I will build my church based on Matthew chapter 16. And in just a moment, we're going to read some of those verses and talk about that. But for right now, Jason, why don't you just kind of walk us through uh, the highlights of that lesson? Sure. We started just by briefly noting there are lots of great building projects that have been accomplished in human history, some really expensive, but enduring, substantial building projects. But there is no greater building project than what Jesus talked about in Matthew 16, 18. And so we just went back and looked at the first several words and thought about the meaning of those from that verse. I will build my church, he says. And so we emphasized that it is Christ's church. I will build. It is his purpose. It's his work. He said, I will build my, and that certainly speaks to his possession, right? He walked the earth a long time ago, but he is alive. He came out of the grave. He reigns presently, even today. And so it is his possession. And then, of course, the key word for our purposes was church. And that is described in a variety of ways in the New Testament. We just emphasized from Ephesians and Colossians, it's Christ's body, Christ's bride, Christ's kingdom. Hopefully it came through loud and clear here. The key character is Christ. And, of course, one of the things that Roger, you and I both have been circling around throughout the first quarter of this year is our our theme as a congregation, finish what was started. And so in the last few minutes, I just circled back and said, okay, how can I, for my part, finish what was started? And we walked back through those basic points. If it's Christ's church, well, then I needed, I need to be added to that. If it's his purpose, I need to align my life with that purpose. If it's his work, I need to participate in it. If it's his possession, I need to live like that. If, if this is the greatest building project in the world and he's the head of it, then I need to faithfully follow his lead. That was the basic idea from Sunday morning. Yeah, and in the context and where those phrases come from is Matthew 16, verse 18. But I want to step up just a little bit before that in that context and notice it's just a couple things that stated there. And then then we need to spend some time talking about this concept of the church. Uh, everybody has a different idea when you think of the word church. You know, some people, when you say the word church, they think of a place to worship. Some people think of a building. 
Some people think of a school. Some people think of some kind of community outreach. And there's just dozens and dozens of different thoughts come to people's mind. And so we want to kind of walk through some of those in just a moment. But as this context began, as Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, he asked them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, I want to begin with that. You know, it's kind of like he was taking a poll and, you know, just uh, interested. Why do you think he said that? Yeah, well, and I I appreciate you phrasing it that way. Why do you think? Because I can only speculate, but it does seem significant to me that he doesn't pose that question in the synagogue in Capernaum, for instance. That is a, a major hub of his work, and he could have asked that question right there, but for whatever reason, he brings them far to the north, and we just briefly noted Sunday morning, that was outside of their comfort zone. That's Gentile territory. That was uh, an area where for many, many, many years, idol worship had been prominent. This was a, a city obviously, that belonged to, bore the name of Caesar. And so it's almost, at least from my point of view, like he wants to get these followers away from maybe the easy answers, but also where they could honestly speak up. You know, if you if you ask that in the synagogue, you're going to have synagogue officials, maybe scribes and Pharisees right there. And you might not have a Simon Peter giving a clear, unashamed, succinct answer like we'll see he gives in just a moment. So it's kind of like bringing them into the deep end of the pool and saying, okay, Let's have a moment of honesty. Who are you hearing that people say that I am? And then who do you say that I am? And so they answered that question in verse 14. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, you know, we, we sometimes, as we go through this context, we kind of slide through those things real quickly and we get to Peter's answer, which really is the truth of who Jesus is. Right. But the statement from who people say that he was, yeah, John, Elijah, Jeremiah, once, what, what do we make of that little group that they came up with? Yeah, well, uh, the idea of prophets definitely binds all of them together, right? All the way back in Deuteronomy 18, God had promised through Moses, a great prophet is going to come like Moses and you shall listen to him. And so nobody had really stepped on the scene quite like Elijah, for instance, in the days of first Kings. And he was an outsider. He was kind of strange to the powers that be, but he unashamedly spoke truth that he consistently maintained was from God. He wasn't always popular, right? But he he worked miracles that could not be refuted. Then you got Jeremiah, who obviously the weeping prophet uh, comes at a time of, of great oppression in Israel's history. It's centered right there in Jerusalem, and he delivers some hard news that definitely shook things up. Then, of course, most recently, you've got John the Baptist, and perhaps most significant on the minds of many people, I mean, just a page or two before this in your Bibles, Matthew 14. 
14 is where Matthew tells us about John's murder, right? He had been killed by Herod. And so how magnificent would it be in the eyes of uh, of many of the people if uh, a king had slain this prophet, but God had raised that prophet again. And maybe, maybe that's who this man who has this crowd who's following him really is. It's all revolving around, I think, okay, God is with someone, but exactly how and who is it and what does it mean? There's there's lots of speculation in the first century. Yeah, and, and two things always stood out about these answers with me is, you know, they were all teachers of God, every mm-hmm. single one of them, um, but they all were gone. I mean, as you said, John the Baptist was murdered. Elijah had been taken up uh, a long time ago. Jeremiah was dead. All the prophets were dead. So they were equating Jesus with a resurrected somebody. And the other thing that always stands out about this with me is these are all good answers. Um, They had heard other things about Jesus. Uh, Some had accused Jesus of having a demon. Some accused Jesus of other things. And they they, they gave him the polite answers, I believe, in all this, which is very interesting. Now, from that, the context, Jesus shifts this to the disciples. This is what people say, who do you say? And no one knew Jesus better than the disciples. They had seen that. They had heard the words, seen all the miracles. And Peter answers in verse 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That amazing confession, that, that the idea that he is the anointed one, he is the Messiah is what that means. And Jesus said to him in verse 17, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who's in heaven. Now, before we get to verse 18, let's just talk about 17 here for a moment. What does it mean when it says flesh and blood did not reveal this to you? Yeah, well, I would take that, first of all, to be that, okay, you didn't just take some other human being's word for this. It's not like, well, your brother came to believe this first and your brother convinced you and you just weren't sure exactly what to believe, but you're going to go along with it because everybody else around you is going on uh, along with it. No, Peter has seen miraculous catches of fish. He has seen stilled storms. He has seen the blind be able to see for the first time in their lives. He's seen the lame walk. He has seen the dead raised. And we know how those miracles are described in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even into Acts by Peter and, and others like him. These are signs provided by God. And so I would take this to be Peter is exhibiting faith in the signs and believes that the signs are true. Jesus is telling the truth. He really is who the Israelite people had been hoping for for so many centuries. And so that's how the Father revealed it. He revealed it through the works of Jesus, through the words of Jesus. Flesh and blood, you know, you see a lot of the old masterpieces in in the art museums. And whenever there's there's a a painting of Jesus and the apostles, the apostles kind of all blend together. They look the same, they're wearing the same kind of clothes, but there's Jesus. He's always wearing white or red. There's always a halo above his head. Well, there was no halo above his head. That, that That would mean that 
flesh and blood revealed it. I mean, I, I can pick them out because of the halo. No, you picked them out because of what God had done through him. That was the emphasis there. So from that, because of Peter's great confession, this is where we come to our verse from our lesson today, and that's Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where the Lord says, Peter, you're upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell or Hades will not overpower it. Upon this rock, I will build my church. What does he mean by the word church? Yeah, that word doesn't have to have an inherently religious meaning. We know that it's used in the book of Acts to describe, for instance, a a great crowd that had turned into a riot in Ephesus. It's simply a gathering that has been called together. So, you know, you think of, okay, there were lots of people in Ephesus in their homes, in the marketplace, going about their business, and something got their attention and called them all together in that big amphitheater, right? Where you you read about that great showdown and that gathering is the word in in Greek, ekklesia, right? All that it means is I've been called away from whatever it was that originally had my attention and now my attention is focused along with others on something else. Now, Jesus obviously is about more than building a crowd, but that's that's the most basic meaning of the word that Christ has a people. Christ has a a number. He has an assembly and that's not based upon whether I'm male or female, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, slave or free. It is Okay, there is news that has gotten my attention, and now what am I going to do with that news? If I'm going to start following him and living for him and sharing this news, that's where the New Testament in Acts and beyond begins describing the church, the people that belong to Jesus. So in in another vernacular, we could just say that the church means the saved people. Yeah. The people yeah. who are saved by Jesus. Now that, that, that definition really is important because number one, it takes it away from the structure. Uh, you and I have preached all over this country. We've been in little bitty country church houses, a big city church building. It's not the building that's no. the church. It's the people. Right. Saved people. Now here where we're recording on Charlestown Road in New Albany, just up the street, there is a Wendy's. And then if you go just a little bit further, there is a McDonald's. And across the street from McDonald's is Burger King. Three hamburger places. Yes. They all sell hamburgers, okay? Now, you may have one that's a favorite of yours and the other two, or you may think, well, they're all just about the same. <laughs> that's how a lot of people look at the concept of the church. Yeah. You go there, there have been lots of little towns I've been in where there's actually a street called Church Street because there's three or four places to worship on that street. Yeah. Here's a church building, right across the street's another church building, or on a corner, and maybe three of the four corners has a church building. So just as we have McDonald's and Burger King and Wendy's, they're all selling hamburgers. A church is a church is a church. How would you answer that? Yeah, well, I think it really goes back to some of those important words we keyed in on on Sunday morning. 
just because I call myself a church or we call ourselves a church doesn't mean we are living within the bounds of Christ's purpose, for instance. There are lots of human organizations that have purposes different than what we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and beyond, right? It it comes back to, okay, Jesus said, I will build. We emphasize this is Christ's work. And if I am going to be a part of that, I need to participate in Christ's work. But if he is the head, if this is his possession and his work, then what does it say about what we are building or participating in when we can't find in his revelation to mankind what we're doing, right? What we're building, what we're participating in. And so this is not the idea that, well, there are just different religious uh, franchises to accommodate every different kind of taste in the community, and you just figure out which one aligns with your preferences. No, this isn't a about me. This isn't my purpose. This isn't what I built or my work. It is something I am allowed by God's grace to participate in, but I need to make sure I become a part of what Jesus started to build there in Matthew 16, 18. And the only way I can be sure of that is to start lining up what I see, what I'm hearing with the scriptures. That's what people were commended for in the book of Acts, right? Acts 17. There's someone who comes to their city of Berea and they start comparing what they're hearing with what they see in the scriptures. That's absolutely key. So one of your, one of your points in your lesson as you're going through that phrase, I will build my church is that it is possessive. It is my church belonging to Jesus. Stretch that just a little more. What, what, what do we mean by that when we talk about the church belongs to Jesus? Yeah. So a couple of weeks ago on Sunday morning, we started in Colossians chapter 3 and listened to Paul describe Jesus as the ultimate starting point. It all came from him. It's all through him. It's all for him. That, that kind of language ought to shape our mindset, right? And I think a lot of this is going to revolve around a mindset. Paul also, especially in Ephesians, gives us these everyday metaphors that, okay, the church is his body. He is the head. Now, you and I, in where we're recording right now, we're seven or eight feet apart. I can think and think and think all day long in my head, but I can't make your hand move, right? Your head is the only thing that can make your hand move. And so, okay, if the church is Jesus's body. The church needs to listen to the direction of the head or even perhaps more relatable for us. Ephesians chapter five, the church is the bride of Christ. And just like we would want our mate, our spouse to be faithful to us as a bride or a groom. Well, we belong to Christ and You and I both every once in a while highlight that, okay, the New Testament just speaks in very straightforward words that may not be all that popular in today's culture, 
But the New Testament could not be any more clear. We belong to him as individuals, as a church. We belong to him. This is his. It's simply a question of whether or not we'll listen to him. And, and you know, a lot of folks, I think, would agree with that in theory. But when it gets down to the operational level, yeah. that's where we see the difference. A lot, a lot of places are mirroring the government. They have a legislative branch of the church, and they make laws and bylaws and creeds and doctrines outside of the Bible. And once man starts getting into that, they'll have delegates that are appointed. They'll go to conventions and they'll put forth proposals and they'll vote upon those proposals. And that becomes church law for those churches. I mean, all of that is very, very common in the religious community today. But what that does is it takes it away the possession from Jesus. All of a sudden it becomes our church. Because we have decided this is what we're going to, we have put forth this idea. We have voted upon this. This has passed the uh, executive branches of, of how that church is operating. And because of that, then we get to make new laws and we get to do that. And when you study religious history, even here in America, you'll notice how some of the major religious faiths in America have changed their views, changed their policies through the years. How did they come about doing that? They've done that because man has gotten the possession of the church and not given it to God. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it is, <laughs> if we decided on, okay, a doctrinal stance in 1985, it is a whole lot easier to tweak that stance in 2023 because, well, you know, that was 40 years ago. And, uh, okay, well, you know, we have a different way of looking at the world today than in the 1980s. And guess what? It's going to be even easier in 2033 and 2043 just to drift and drift and drift, right? Because at some point we moved away from what we just have in the scriptures. And so when we talk about Christ's church, we're talking about what you find in the Bible. And we're talking about as God has laid it out, whether it's worship or organization, what's the church supposed to be doing? You know, we, we look at today and, and there's all kinds of activities and plant, uh, today in, in the religious community, you can put the word minister behind just about any word and it becomes a function of the church. Well, we got to look at the Bible because this is Christ's church. Yeah. He decides those things and that's what's essential with this. Now, when he uses this expression upon this rock, I will build my church. Two things I want to kind of pull out of that. First of all, how does he do the building? And then just, we know it's not a physical church building. Jesus didn't take a hammer in Jerusalem and actually put some boards together and say, boys, here's where you're going to worship. Uh, He didn't build church buildings. So what is he building, yeah. and how does he do it? Yeah, he is building individual lives, right? And then in accordance with his incredible wisdom and purpose and providence, he is able to build the <laughs> the, the group of people in ways that you and I can't always see. Uh, again, if I could go back to uh, a mindset verse from a few weeks ago, we spent some time in Philippians chapter 1, where, of course, there are individuals hearing and reading this letter, and yet you listen to how 
Paul describes it in Philippians 1 verse 6 when he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's a plural you, right? In in this part of the world and south, we would say, uh, he who began a good work in y'all, right? It's, it's all of you all, right? And so, how is Jesus doing this building in, in our individual lives? I mean, here we are on a Wednesday. Many of us are listening to this Wednesday morning, and and we're not around other Christians maybe for the next several hours, but God is working on us individually, and God is working on our homes and our our families and our, our local church family right here, as you said, that meets on Charlestown Road, but then churches all over the world. It has to do with the transformation of hearts and minds that lead to fruit that honors him. So in essence, Jesus is building people. Yeah. And he's building people through teaching. That's his avenue. And that's why he told the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That is the means in which people are built. And when we come to the word of God, it it makes an impact upon us. It makes us change our lives and we conform ourselves to be like Jesus. And so the hammer and the nails of Jesus is the word of God. And that's what works upon our hearts. And that's what changes us. And that's, that's the essential things about that. So what is meant by Christ church? When we phrase, use that phrase, Christ church, what do we mean by that? Yeah. Christ's people who have the hope of new life because of his death, burial, and resurrection. People who have, we, we ended the sermon in Colossians chapter one, where Paul talks about having a share of the inheritance of the saints in light. I, I mean, there it is. There, Jesus is, has promised everything good for his people, an inheritance that is secured by his resurrection from the dead. It's people who have been changed by the good news and now are trying to share that good news with all who can have a share in this inheritance. Well, one final question. This came off of a phone call I had last week, and, and this is a question a lot of people have about this. Do I have to be a part of the church? Can it just be me and Jesus and I go to heaven? Do I have to be a part of a church or what church? Yeah. Well, I would suggest that's kind of like saying, can I just carry a head around and not be a part of, uh, of the body, right? Uh, all of these different analogies, and we looked at, at just a couple of them, speak to, okay, Jesus has the place of prominence, but then... There is an interconnectedness between me and the rest of Christ's people, right? We listen to Paul in Colossians or in First Corinthians. I am simply one member of a whole body, right? And I, Paul even reasons that I, I need the body, right? I am one part of the bride of Christ. I am one citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And so nowhere in the New Testament do we ever run across the idea of somebody who just decides, you know what? I don't want to fool, uh, I don't want to mess with, fool around with all of these other people who are a mess just like me. It's just me and Jesus. I'm going to go out in the wilderness and just do my own thing. No, for our good and for God's glory, we are called to be a part 
of something larger than ourselves. And, and by the very definition of that word church, by it being the saved people or the called out, uh, if I am saved, I'm part of that holy nation. Yeah. That's what I'm supposed to be. So so to say I, I'm, I'm not going to be a part of that nation kind of infers, well, I'm not going to be among the saved. And that, that doesn't work if not I'm going to go to heaven. Idea. Not at all. And so so great lesson. And, again, some fundamental things. But in our times today, we need to get the definitions right. We need to speak as God says and understand his terms. Uh, like we've been saying throughout this this podcast, there's a lot of people who have different ideas. Uh, I remember the old black and white Superman show when, when I was a kid. It always began, look up at the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's Superman. <laughs> well, you know, you, you know, look over here. It's a church building. Well, no, it's a school. No, it's a hospital. What, what is it? Well, it's supposed to be a place where the people of God worship. That's and, and what the church is, is the people. It's yeah. the saved people of God. Yeah. So great lesson. It's on our website. Uh, we'd encourage you to go back and grab it and listen to it. It will help you in your conversations with other people. Because, again, these terms are misused and not understood, and we need to speak with clarity and clearness. And this is a great place to begin is Matthew chapter 16. I appreciate it. We are looking forward to being with brothers and sisters tonight, right? 7 o'clock p.m. You're going to be teaching in the auditorium. Yes, we are continuing our series on what was started, and we're going to be talking about the kingdom, uh, the kingdom and the prophecy, and looking at some things along that line. In our Building Blocks track of studies, we're looking at Genesis as the book of beginnings, and we're going to go back and look at that key passage where Abraham almost offers Isaac as a sacrifice to God. Lots of things we need to learn from that. We'll be diving into that this evening at 7 o'clock p.m. This Sunday morning, Roger, we're kicking it back to you at 9.30 a.m. Yes, and we're going to go to the Old Testament and look at one of the great stories involves Jehoshaphat and King Ahab and this unknown prophet named Micaiah. And the lesson's going to be entitled Aiming High. And a statement that that young prophet says is just so important for us to grasp today. And that's going to be some things we're going to be looking at. Excellent. Sunday evening, I'm also going to start in the Old Testament. We're going to look at a familiar passage to many of us revolving around the cleansing of a Gentile and some key language. I thought this... But how even today, sometimes we can easily allow I thought to overshadow what God actually says and why that's a really, really dangerous idea. Roger, thanks for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening to This Week at Charlestown Road. We would love to see you this evening at 7 o'clock p.m. We're already looking forward to Sunday, the best day of the week, and we would love to have you come and grow with us.